0: Open up to Matthew chapter 17. And if you need a Bible, these lovely folks walking down the aisles will give you one. If you raise your hand, let them see you. Just grab them, throw something at them. They're, they're not easily offended. Well, yeah, okay. So, Matthew chapter 17. And before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, uh, I want to share with you something that happened 230 years ago. And it was done by 39 people, uh, 230 years ago, and uh, and as as a result of what they did, um, we have enjoyed their actions for 230 years, and that's why we call today Constitution Day. Uh, The U.S. Constitution was signed September 17th, uh, 1787, 230 years ago today, and. I share that with you. It'll tie in with the text uh, this morning. Simply, uh, we started an, a series on Wednesday nights called the American Legacy Series. And I started last week by just saying, What is America? What is America? And um, that would that'd be a question that would be difficult for most people to answer. Uh, and so what I did is I contrasted it with uh, the statue of David that is um, on display in Florence, Italy. And this was created by Michelangelo, and it's made out of white marble, it's 17 feet high. It's one of the most amazing pieces of artwork uh, ever created. It almost looks as though he's ready to come to life and start moving. And the Republic of Florence um, uh, asked Michelangelo to build this, and they have the face of David staring at Rome, basically to say the Republic of Florence will not tolerate you trying to take us over. And you have this young boy, and and the, the design of it, his hands are enormous. Uh, and he's just got this gaze like, is that all you got? You know, I'll, I'll take you down. You're like a dry twig. I'll snap you. And and he's got the sling and the whole bit. And he's naked, which is Michelangelo's way of doing it. I don't know that he fought naked, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and, and so in this statue, um, when you look at it, Aristotle said, that for any creation to be made... There are four causes, four causes for creation, for a creation of, of something. So what is America? What defines America? Well, there are four causes that define America as there were four causes that de- define the statue of David. The first of, of the four is what's called the material cause. What is it made out of? So the statue of David is made out of marble, white marble. It was just a block of stone. Another artist that tried to work on gave up on it and Michelangelo took over and saw the statue of David inside the marble and created it. And, and so you have the material cause, it's marble, and then the uh, efficiency cause, who affected its outcome, who created it. So it's obviously Michelangelo is the efficiency cause. And then the third cause that Aristotle points out is the formal cause. What form did it take? Well, it's the form of David. And then there's what Aristotle called the final of the four causes, the final cause. And the final cause is what motivated him. It was love. Love. It was what defined his heart to create this subject matter and create it out of marble and to fashion it with his hands. And and the word statue, as I covered in our class on Wednesday, the word statue means an immovable object, something that is supposed to remain and in, in, in stand the test of time, a statue. And it's to stay in a place and not be moved. And, and there's a cognate. Cognate is where you have a root word from the Latin. So the word statute is a cognate of statue. Statute is an immovable object or movable decree that is not to be moved, and, and that's the idea. And from that cognate, statute, statute, we get constitution, which is another cognate, which is an immovable document to protect. You see how that works? And so when I asked the people, I said, how many rights does the U.S. Constitution give us? It was a trick question. The answer is none. The Constitution is a statute an immovable object to protect the rights that are given to us by God. Now, if it's not protected, like the statue of David, the toe was destroyed by some knucklehead that came in and started hitting it with a hammer. And if you don't protect it, you can destroy a statue or a statute or a constitution. And so the only way to protect it is to understand its significance and to stand by it and to defend it. And so when I gave my oath of office as a councilman to protect the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, I needed to know what was in it. And so I studied the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution, the 27 amendments, and that's what I'm doing on Wednesday nights to take people through this. Well, if you look at the four causes of what is America, if you look at the material cause, it's the land and the people. You had uh, Western expansion, you had this great body of land, never again in the history of the world will something like this occur, because you combine the land with the people. A group of people that had a religious establishment, an understanding, uh, those who were seeking uh, freedom that was described in scripture, those that were highly educated, and they came together, uh, and this was the material cause, and the efficiency cause was the founders you see thirty nine signatures on the declara- or excuse me on the u s constitution. These were the folks that went forward with these ideas to create a bicameral legislature and all these things, so that was the efficiency cause now, the formal cause of the u s constitution was the Constitution. This is what it looks like. It's an outline of how to preserve these rights, but where did the inspiration, what was the final cause, the inspiration that developed this Constitution, this statute, this immovable object that has protected us for 230 years? It was the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary, and then it goes on to say um, that uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their Creator. Four times in the Declaration of Independence, God is referred to And this is that idea of personal freedom and established. And so for 241 years on the face of the earth, we've been under the the Declaration of Independence. And for 230 years, we've been under the Constitution of the United States of America. And so today, September 17th, we celebrate that. Now, I share that with you because this is an establishment of a people wanting to create a community where there would be a manifestation or a majesty, a ruling, of, of those precepts that would protect religious freedom and individual rights. And all of this was inspired by this idea of being accountable to a creator. As John Adams said, a republic can only survive with a moral people. And so here we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 17, and this is what's significant about it. Before we read, I'll set it up for you. Matthew 17, we've just covered where Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He left the other nine down below in the valley, and he went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And James and John are brothers, and Peter is the 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 third guy there of the three apostles. And so you have Peter, James, and John. James and John are called the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. And Jesus is pouring into them. And they get up on this mountain, and while they're up there, all of a sudden, Jesus transfigures. He metamorphosizes, and we know that he's fully God and fully man. And this earth suit that he's wearing, all of a sudden, his deity begins to just radiate out of this earth suit, and it's just... And they're, and immediately as he's transfigured on this mountain, next to him is Moses and Elijah. And they ask a little bit about Elijah, and we're not going to cover that today, but face it this way. There's Moses and Elijah, and and it's stunning. Jesus is the one who's radiating. And uh, it says it's like it's lightning, and he's as white as can be, and you just can't, and we heard, you know, testimony of somebody who understands colors and light and all that. It was fascinating. and And Peter begins to mumble. He says, well, we'll build a you know a tent for you, and a tent for you, and a tent for you. And while he's speaking, the scripture says that a voice from heaven, God the Father, says, this is my son, hear him. Basically, Peter, shut up and listen to Jesus. And when they hear that voice, it's thunderous, and they saw the lightning. Now they hear the thunder, and it's the voice of God. And they fall on their faces, trembling in reverential fear. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. And when they look up, only Jesus remains. And he says, don't be afraid. And and this is one of these moments where he wanted to, Jesus wanted to capture Peter, James, and John and give them a vision that they would never forget. And as we saw in Second Peter, Peter never forgot the vision. He referred to it in his epistles, as did James and John. They referred to this idea of seeing the Lord manifested in his glory. And God's glory was manifested. Pay attention. God's glory was manifested. Pay attention. God's glory was manifested on the mountain. Now... Peter, James, and John have seen God's glory manifested on the mountain, and it's time to go back down. And uh, so they start to head back down the mountain, as it says uh, in Mark chapter 9, says, when Jesus saw the people, he came running together. He, oh, excuse me, where did I leave that? Oh, he came down the mountain. Let's just leave it at that. And as he's coming down, oh, yeah, it's, it's Matthew 17, verse 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them. So they're coming down the mountain after seeing the, the glory of God manifested all right? And now something is going to happen. The other nine are down there dealing with a serious issue that they can't handle. The other three come in, and it gets crazy, cray-cray for the younger folks. And so we're going, why are you doing that? So as they're coming down the mountain, it gets insane. Now, before we begin the reading, let me say one more thing. This week, I had the privilege to be up on the mountain, Literally, and uh, I came down into the valley, and um, I was praying all the way up the mountain and prayed at the mountain. I'd been praying that whole week, and our family was facing a trial that was pretty intense. And we came down the mountain, and it it got worse. It it got exponentially worse. And um, in the midst of all of it, as I was sharing with family members, there were more questions than there were answers. And uh, you're wondering what God's doing. And, it, and I tell you, it's a torpedo, broadside. And yet, in the midst of it all, as I came down the mountain into the valley with the in, in intensity of it all, I can tell you something that I have received. I realize that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. My rod and Thy staff that comfort me I can tell you that even in the midst of trial, intense trial, as you come into the valley of problems and death and struggle and issue, God's faithful. You see, He manifests His glory on the mountain, but He manifests His majesty in the valley. Majesty means rule and authority. And God basically said, Rob, you don't understand, but do you trust me? And I do trust him with all my heart and I want to tell you right now whatever you're dealing with whatever the struggle is if you haven't had a time with the Lord to see his glory you're going to have problems in the valley when the trials of life hit you and you won't be able to say to the Lord I trust you unless you've seen his glory manifested in your life and in today's message I pray that it ministers to you and strengthens you because all of us will be in the valley and many of you are there right now And God ordered this message just for you, so I pray it ministers to you. So let's stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. We'll pick up at verse 14. I did read to you verse 9 when they came down the mountain, but let's pick up at verse 14. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down to Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic. Another term is moonstruck. He's crazy. And he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. Now, it doesn't mean that anyone who has epilepsy has a demon. Please understand that the the definition in the scripture itself is moonstruck, like he's out there doesn't mean epilepsy. So that's a bad English translation of of the original Greek. He says, bring him here to me and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, I did want to add what Mark said in chapter nine. I'll read it to you. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter him no more. Everyone say enter him no more. Very important to add that part, enter him no more. And, and then it says, at that point in Luke chapter 4, it says, And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. They were all amazed at the majesty of God. So this is another account of the same story. They were amazed at the majesty of God, and Jesus said, come out of him and enter him no more, and enter him no more. Let's pick up with the remainder of the story. Then the disciples, verse 19, came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast out this demon? Verse 20 says, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, or better translation, little faith, For assuredly, I say to you, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And actually, the father himself said, Lord, help thou my unbelief. He was struggling, too. Everybody's struggling. They're in the valley of trouble. The disciples are struggling. The father, the mother struggling. The son struggling. And the people all of a sudden realize in our maze that the majesty of the Lord God is made manifest. So let's pray and ask God to minister to us through His living Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You, Lord, that today You you so want to touch those who are in the midst of a trial that just seems daunting and overwhelming. And Lord, for those of us who aren't, You know we will be, and so You're preparing us just for that. And Lord, we know like with Peter, James, and John, we have to see your glory manifested if we're going to survive the valley to see your majesty manifested. And so God, speak to us now, we pray. Bless us in the study of your word. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth and bless your people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. So... Jesus comes down from the mountain in verse 9, and they had witnessed the glory of the Lord manifested in the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John have had a really cool trip up to the mountain. And uh, I I had a cool trip up to the mountain and time at the mountain. And there's just something special about a mountain. When you get up there, you lose cell reception. I love that. It's like, I can't hear you. I'm going through a tunnel. (laughs) So good. And then when you're up on the mountain, I was up at Crestline and you can just see the valley below. And it was one of those majestic days. It's just so beautiful. It was clear. You could see as far as the eye could. It was just fascinating. And the air with the pine scent and it's just beautiful and you feel invigorated. It's one of those magical days. And often in the summertime, when I was a youth minister, we'd take the kids up to Green Valley Lake, and and we'd take them there for a week and get away from the valley and all the troubles at home and just get up to a mountain where they could walk in the forest and really have a great time. And it's up there that they would have this mountaintop experience with the Lord. And if if you've never done that, you need to take a retreat. Jesus would often take his disciples away and come to a mountain, and there he, you know, they'd pursue the Lord, and and that's where he wanted to get their attention, to manifest his glory, and that's what happens at retreats. You just, God's glory is manifested. I, I remember one profound time, you guys remember the story, um, when I was down in San Jose, and for those of you who haven't heard the story, that's why I'm going to tell it again, even though you've heard the story, so just patience. <laughs> but I remember when I was in San Jose, and I just got on staff, and this this lady comes in, and I, I was really struggling in my faith, and I was having a, a trouble in my walk, and I hadn't opened the Word, and here I was on staff having to give to people something I didn't have myself, and and it was tough. And I remember praying in my office saying, you know, I'm the last pastor here. Lord, if there's any drop-in counseling appointments, please just send them to another church, I don't have anything to give and I just finished praying and then the phone rings and it's the reception. She said oh, there's a drop-in counseling appointment. I'm like, "You don't listen. You're just where where are you, you know?" And I was having it out with the Lord. I was a little irritated with him, just a little bit. Maybe you've never been there. Okay. So I'm the only one. Thanks for making me feel so miserable. And uh and and so they say um there's a lady here with her daughter, and she's seeking counsel. I said, okay, so I'll be right out. And I walk out there, and there's a woman, and she's dressed in a power business suit, and she's on a phone. She's decked out in Rolex, and she's making money. Dot com up in San Jose. Money. And uh, I walk up there, and she's on the phone, and and there's her daughter. And I wouldn't have known it was her daughter had the receptionist said daughter, because the way she was dressed, but it was more gothic, too. I mean, just her hair was dyed black or fingernail polish was black. Her lipstick was black. She had piercings. She just, and she looked milky white, like she hadn't been outside in forever. And just, just looking at me like, I'm going to kill you. You know, just, just evil manifested. And the oxygen's getting sucked out of the room as I'm getting closer to him. (laughs) And as I'm approaching this, this woman, I hear on the phone, oh yeah, here comes the pastor. I got to go. No, I know it's probably a waste of time, but I don't have any other options. She hangs up like, (laughs) And uh, and I, I, I say to her, how can I help you? And she says, well, we're not churchgoers. That's how she started. And uh, my daughter's been in the psych ward a couple of times, and we're getting ready to put her back in. But somebody said, because those psych wards are expensive, and somebody said that maybe you can do whatever you do. <laughs> maybe talk with her, whatever. I'm not really sure what you do, but, you know, it's free. <laughs> And I said, "Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I'll, why don't you come with me and we'll we'll go talk? Come on, let's let's go sit in my office." She doesn't move, and the mother begins to cuss at her. Get damn, down, get down. she cussing back at her, and and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you really don't listen when I pray. You don't even care." I'm having my own issue with the Lord, and they're having issue with each other, and it's just chaos. And finally, the girl goes, oh, my God, this is so stupid. She gets up. She starts following back to my office, and I I just feel, like, demonic. I'm going to kill you. And and I can't breathe. And we sit in the office, and we sit down. She slumps in her chair, and she's just not even looking at me. And I go, what's your name? And she goes, none of your business. I'm like, okay, all right, okay. I go, look, I don't want to be here any more than you. So why don't you tell me your name? We'll exchange some niceties and you can go your way. At that point, I was done. She goes, my name's Raven. (laughs) I started giggling. I'm like, like the blackbird? Are you serious, Raven? I mean, I get it. The whole outfit. (laughs) Raven. Okay. Okay. And it's seriously, she looks like she wants to kill me. I go, I go, Raven i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna share with you one thing and then you can go home i said you're about ready to go into a psych ward and they're gonna pump you full of drugs and you're not gonna go you're not gonna know up from down and your head's gonna be spinning i said i'm gonna help you distinguish between three voices so that you can make sense of the chaos of your mind there's god's voice He loves you with an everlasting love. Every tear you've ever cried, he has in a bottle. And he left heaven for the humiliation of an earthly cross to die in your place so that you would have life and life more abundant. He loves you. And he came that you might have life and life more abundant. Then there's Satan's voice. He is a lion roaming about, seeking who he may devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a liar. He wants you dead. And he wants everyone in your family miserable. And then there's your voice and you're the ping pong ball between the two. And when you're in that hell, I was just reading this morning about the Syrophoenician woman with a demon-possessed daughter. She said three words. She worshiped the Lord with three words. She said, Lord, help me. And when you're in that psych ward, I want you to say those three words. When it gets crazy, you just say, Lord, help me. And that's it. And I prayed, and I was the only one in the room who said, amen. She goes, are you finished yet? I said, yeah. She said, done, because she didn't understand English. I said, yes, I'm, I'm finished. She said, oh, my God, what a waste of my time. How stupid. She gets up and walks out. the, the mother goes, I knew this was a waste of time. Get in the car. They cuts each other on the way out. And as I go into my office, this oppression just says, I own this generation. These kids are mine. You're, you might as well quit. It sent me into a depression like you can't imagine for months, for months. And here I am overseeing a youth ministry. I take all these kids to camp to go up to a mountain. And I got to manifest, you know, do my best to see God's glory manifest in their lives on this getaway time. And I am empty. My well is drained. And I remember I'm there. And it was one of the most powerful moves of God I've ever experienced in 53 years on this earth. I was touched by the presence of the Lord. His, His glory was so thick, you could cut it with a knife. I'm watching his spirit moved through the hearts of these kids. They worshiped into the early hours of the morning to the point where the camp director had to shut it down, say, go back to your camp. They went back to their cabin, still worshiping the Lord. At that event, to this day, over a dozen kids are in full-time ministry as a result of that one night, and they are fervently serving the Lord. It was profound, profound, and it touched me deeply and lifted me out of depression. And at the conclusion of it, after we ushered all the kids out, one of the female counselors came up and said, Savannah's crying. Savannah's like my key youth group kid, precious girl. And uh, California blonde, just adorable. And she'd been putting on these agape clubs at her public high school and teaching kids about the Bible. And she had done babysitting and worked jobs to pay for her friends to come to camp. I mean, this kid was too unreal. And she's crying, I got to figure this out because she's a key kid. And I, I go up to Savannah, I go, sweetie, why are you crying? She says, Pastor Rob, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm so overwhelmed. I go, oh, me too. And we were crying. She says, I just said, God is so good. She says, he is, but you don't know how good he is. And that was a little irritating. <laughs> and I go, I go Savannah, I know how good God is. I know how good God is. And she goes, no, no, you don't. I go, Savannah. I, I I was deeply touched today, and I saw God moving, and I've experienced amazing things, and I'm older than you. And yes, I do know how good God is. She said, "No, you don't." I said, "Okay, you irritate me now, and you owe me an explanation. What are you What are you talking about?" She said, "Pastor Rob, you have no idea." I said, "We've already covered that. What are you talking about?" And she just stares at me. It was kind of annoying. She says, you don't get it, do you? I go, what are you talking about? She said, Pastor Rob. Don't you remember me? I go, what are you talking about? She says, Raven. I go, how do you know that name? Nobody knows that name. She goes, it's me. I was in your office, and you told me about the voices and... And it's just like you said, and I came back to youth group. The youth group had grown, and I'm, my hair grew out, and you didn't recognize me, and for months I'm just laughing because you don't, and I'm, I'm just sitting there. <laughs> and she said, my whole life has changed. That's the glory of God. I saw it radiating in the life of this beautiful young girl, that once I thought was dead it was going to be chewed up in the valley of darkness. That's the glory of God. That's Peter, James, and John. That's what they felt coming off that mountain. That's how I felt. And then I went right back into the valley of misery. And we're all there at one point or another. And I've heard the word cancer this week in this congregation. I know there's there's families with drug addicted kids. I know there's relationships in jeopardy. I know there's financial constraints. I know you're in the valley of the shadow of death. I know, I know. It's been a week for us too. But when they came down that mountain, they came into chaos. Peter, James, and John are coming down with this experience of the glory of God being made manifest. They come down, and the other nine had been down there trying to cast a demon out of this man and his wife's kid. And they were doing everything they could in the name of Jesus. Jesus! No, yeah. your turn. Bartholomew comes up in the name, wiping his eyes with spit and mud. They're doing whatever they can. He did it. Try that. And the thing's like throwing himself in the fire and then in the water, smacking them. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees are mocking them. You don't have any power. And they're all laughing. Now, they don't have any power, but they're really good at, you know, making point that they don't. And they're humiliated. And these guys come down from the mountain. The other nine are down there exhausted trying to deal with this. And they come down, they've seen the glory of God manifest in the transfiguration. As they walk down, they just go, Where have you been? It's we we you sent us out in twos and we had success. And now this kid has really baffled us, and we've tried everything. We did the spit and the mud and nothing's working. I mean, he can see now, but he could see before. But, anyways, he's still insane. (laughs) I just see the pictures in my head and I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> and the man cries out to Jesus and he just says, they couldn't help me, please. And at this point, Jesus turns and he turns to the disciples and to the people and probably turns to Peter, James and John. He says, you faithless and perverse generation. Ow. Now, let me point that out. Faithless comes before Perverse. When you remove God, then perversity enters. You create a vacuum in the absence of God, and then the world fills the void. I'll give you an example. Sheriff's chaplain. Called to a scene as a sheriff's chaplain, I show up, and you have no idea and you have no context when you walk into somebody's home, and their son had just committed suicide and shot himself with a revolver. I walk into the home. Immediately walking into the home, I try to assess the best I can. As I'm looking around the room, I see no markings of any presence of God or Bibles or anything that pertains to faith. So I'm assessing that. The parents are distraught. The sister is kind of aloof and distant. I realize I have more of a connection with the sister because she's open to me. The parents are weeping, and so I talk with the sister. And they don't want to go in the room. The body's in there. The corners have arrived. And I'm going in between talking with her and the family and going into the room. And it's an awful scene, one I wish I could get out of my head. In the boy's room, it's computers, empty bags of snack food and drinks. He spends a lot of time. And it took hours for them to find the child because they thought he was just playing on his computer because the family long ago had gone into their separate locations, shared a, a familiar dwelling and the only time that they'd have interaction is when they use common facilities whether it be the bathroom or the kitchen there was no emotional or spiritual connection and I asked the sister I said are you all churchgoers?" she said yeah well when we first moved here to the valley um we went to church but my dad got irritated with one of the pastors and we never went back and I don't know we don't we don't do anything that's the only thing I remember okay And I'm looking at the chaos of the home. And somewhere along the line, they removed God and the vacuum filled. And they became distant and lonely and depressed and broken. And the parents' greatest concern was that they were gonna lose their daughter too because she struggled with the same thing. And why would they call a chaplain when they've never stepped foot in a church? Because they're desperate. And I have to say that, yes, we live in a very nice community, but a lot of us are desperate. We have an opioid epidemic. In the last year, we've heard of a number of suicides of our youth. We've got all kinds of trials and troubles, and I just scan the room, and I can tell you right now, they're present. And so when Jesus looks and he says, you faithless and perverse generation, he's just laying it out. He's saying, look, My glory was manifest on the mountain, but I've come down here to the valley, and I want to tell you why this is happening. This youth that is being convulsed and and, uh, uh, against his will, his body is possessed, intermittently throws into the fire, into the water, convulses, shakes, tremors, moonstruck crazy. This is a result of a faithless and perverse generation. Faithless means you've removed God, and perversity means you're off course. You're off course. One man gets irritated with a pastor and pulls his family out of church, and they go off course. And the vacuum they create of the emptiness and the presence of God's glory being manifest in the home, which doesn't exist anywhere in their home, and I took a good scan of it and spent time talking with them. This is the result. And Jesus says, I'm just calling it the way I see it. You remove God, and the opposite of God floods in. And the opposite of God is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is what's happening to your child. And when he says that, he says, How long will I be with you? He's turning to the disciple, he's saying, I am going to be with my father. I will send the comforter of the Holy Spirit, but you're going to be the instrument of establishing my majesty, my presence on the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My majesty will be made manifest in and through you. And if you're faithless, then the perversion will ensue. But if you're faithful, righteousness will be established. You want to remove God from the culture, then perversity will invade. You want to put God in in every nook and cranny of the culture? Then righteousness will result. This will be the exception, not the rule. We won't have an epidemic. But unless God's glory is manifested and in your weakness, his strength is made perfect, if you don't call on him at those moments, and at that moment, I can tell you, the father and the mother had to own it. We don't get to where we are just by chance. We have to look and clean up our own side of the street. If we're honest with God, he will always be merciful with us. Let me repeat that. If we're honest with God, he will always be merciful with us. I can imagine the father saying, I I just, I never took time. I, I never remember praying with my mom and dad or reading the Bible with them. Does the glory of the Lord manifest itself in your home is there a vestige of the presence of christ in your home if i were to walk in as a stranger being invited into your house would i sense the presence of god in your home do you read with your kids do you pray with them do you instruct them in the way that they should go because without faith then there's perversity you miss, and you're off course and so this man probably said, I, I'm responsible for this. I, I'm not the priest of my home. I don't read with my kids. Listen, maybe you're a drinker. Maybe you use drugs a little more than you should for ailments that you don't have. Maybe your anger has gotten the best of you and God isn't manifested in your life as far as his majesty governing you. That's what majesty means, order, authority. He doesn't have authority over you. Maybe everything else seems to work with you because with Peter, when he said, let's build a tent for Elijah and one for Moses, he wanted to put Jesus on equal footing with the others. And and that's when the father interrupted and said, no, shut up, Peter. It's Jesus. And when they fell on their face in reverential fear and then looked up, there was Jesus. You don't put your little pet peeves in a tent equal with the Lord. It's not your job is equal with Jesus. Your, your education is not equal with Jesus. Your political drive is not equal with Jesus. It's Jesus. His glory manifested in and through you and the, the ones you love in the community in which you live. And if that's not the case, just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. And like the Syrophoenician woman with the demon-possessed daughter, Lord, help me. I, this is this is the part I can definitely say I'm responsible for. And, and God, I give that to you. And I know that you're merciful and gracious when I'm honest. And so, God, here it is. And he'll work with you. He'll meet you where you are. Just lay it out there. Own it. Whatever we have as parents. And listen, being a parent's tough. And I've failed more than I've succeeded. And I've had those conversations with the Lord. He says... Do you see it yes lord I do and and I acknowledge it, and I repent of it. And God says, "Okay, we'll fix it. You see, there's always hope. Jesus looks and says, "You're a faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? This is up to you. How long am I going to bear with you?" He says, "Bring him here to me that that is it bring him bring the family to Jesus. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And as Mark points out, and he said, come out of him and enter him no more. I want to tell you something. I don't care where you are or what mess you've made. Own it. Be honest about it. And really, do you think you're going to fool God? I mean, just think about that. You know, you're spinning it so that it sounds good coming from your mouth, but do you think he's up there going, oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you just for a moment be honest in your prayer time with the Lord and honestly assess your family, honestly assess your community, honestly assess your kids, honestly assess your life, and give it to the Lord? Bring him here to me. Bring the family to me. And when you do that, not only will he cast out the demon, but he will say, enter no more. He'll take it from there. He'll fix the present and establish the future. Could you imagine if he had just healed him right there and the parents, every time the kid would sneeze, if Jesus hadn't healed him for the, you know, say, don't come back. Every time the kid sneezed, oh, every time he was hoarse in his voice, it's coming back. No, 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 no. The parents said, no, no. God said, enter him no more. Honey, that's not happening again. Do you reassure your family with the word of God? It's not coming back. It's going to be Okay. God's word says, I don't have all the answers, but the ones I do comfort me and gives me a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it came out of him that very hour and he was cured, healed. What do you want for your family? Whatever you want, only Jesus can bring it. Are you tired of doing all the gimmicks and the routines? Are you out of money for rehab clinics? Are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to own it? Are you willing to have God's glory manifested so that his majesty can be established in your home in the valley? You got to get alone with him on the mountain in order to have his majesty established in the valley. And the disciples were intrigued by this and they came to him and they said, how is it that we couldn't cast him out? And Jesus uses this interesting comment. He says to them, because of your little faith, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. We'll cover that in a minute. But let's go to the mustard seed. Can we pull up the first slide? This is a demon-possessed boy. It's the best picture I could find. It was from a cartoon. He, It's toothpaste. I'm just kidding. But you can see the father, and the father's, in a sense, overwhelmed. And you can imagine the picture in your own mind. I don't want the cartoon to ruin it for you, whatever you've envisioned. But this man, even at that point, just like the disciples said, Lord, help thou my unbelief. I'm struggling with this. I believe in you, but I'm struggling with this. I'm never going to be able to see him go to prom. I'm never going to be able to see him get married. I'm never going to be able to see him, you know, with grandkids. On my, I, I'm, Lord, help me, please. And you can see the desperation. Let's go to the next slide. If you have faith, everyone say as. If you have faith as, say as again if you have faith as a mustard seed, not if you have the faith of a mustard seed. It's not saying, listen, if you, if you just had this much faith, you could move mountains, but obviously you are all heretics and you're not moving mountains. So obviously there's no faith in the room. You need to believe. <laughs> Whip my suit around, blow on you. <laughs> believe. No, 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 no. Faith as a mustard seed. Jesus is using an illustration. He's not, he's not condemning you because you struggle believing. The man struggled. The, the disciples struggled. He says, You just need faith as a mustard seed. What is faith as a mustard seed? Look at the next slide. Just a little tiny mustard seed. Just a little tidy one. Look at it. Tidy those seeds. You go like this. Everybody go like that. Everybody go like that. Squish your head. Squish your head. Squish your head. Right? Little faith tiny little mustard seed just nothing and what do you do with it let's go to the next slide you take that mustard seed and you put it in dirt what is dirt darkness the dirt of the valley darkness and here is this mustard seed covered by the cares of life the dirt of the valley covered and what does it do the first thing it does is it puts down roots Abide in me. Draw upon the living word. Draw upon the water of life, the bread of life. Put those roots down. Spend time in the word of God. Hold on to him saying, enter him no more. Hold on to his commandments. Hold on to his precepts. Let them be in your home. Let God's glory be manifest in your home. Let those roots grow deep. And in the winter season, when there's no leaves on the tree and no fruit on the vine... Those roots are going deep. I remember learning that in the valley, that when you don't see any fruit and it's in the winter and it looks like they're all dead, those roots are going deep. It's the trials of life that cause you to cling to the word of God. You begin to realize it's real. I can tell you as I stand here right now that he has given me a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make any sense why I'm content right now, but I am. And there's peace in my home. It's okay. I don't have the answers. But I am clinging to his word and the roots are growing deep. And as those roots grow deep, all of a sudden it opens and you begin to rise to the Lord and you pop through the darkness into the light. And now you are a creature that is prepared to give because you've received in the darkness, clung to his word, and now you're fruitful. Go to the next slide there it is. In darkness, the roots go deep. You rise to the Lord and fruitfulness appears. Now the application is real simple. Look at the next slide. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell the vision to no one until the son of man is from the dead. This vision of glory. They were on the mountain. They saw the vision of glory. Look at the next slide. Perfect picture. Perfect illustration. There's Mount Boney. Now, I've lived in this community for 16 years. I've never climbed to the top of Mount Boney. I've made it to the creek. <laughs> I've never even wanted to go to the mountain. I, I would be dead if I got there. But my kids, interestingly enough, like when they come in or they've been away for a while or they're struggling with something, they go, I'm going up to the mountain. And they'll hike up to the mountain. And sometimes they'll spend the night up at the mountain. They'll go with a group of friends. And when you get up to the top of the mountain, you look down over the valley and there you are. Your cell phone doesn't work. You're distant from everyone else. You're alone with the Lord. You have a chance to collect your thoughts. You're up there. You're receiving. You're being strengthened. You, you have this joy of having accomplished something. You're looking down at the valley below as though I can handle whatever life is going to bring my way. I can do this. And you're looking down, and you can see it all. And God's glory is manifested. Now it's time, after his glory's manifested, to go down into that valley. Let's go to the next slide. Now, it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that everyone presses in and they want something from you. When the kids get back to the house, where have you been? You have to pick up the dog, dude. Go over and, you know, fill the water bowl and take the trash out. And why is your car such a filthy mess? And go clean your room. And you have homework. And why are you late? And we go to the mountain. They come down from the mountain and the great multitude met him. They press in. All of a sudden, this kid's rolling on the ground. The nine disciples are confused. The other three don't know what to do. There's chaos reigning. The man's begging him. It's all hitting. You come down and it's going to hit you. And right now you're being hit. Here's the next picture. And there's our valley. And in that valley is a home. And in that home is a bedroom. And that bedroom is where that young man died there was no glory to bring into that home no majesty established in that valley of their home and I can tell you right now if you remove God from the equation faithlessness brings in perversion perversion is just the world flooding in where you've removed God and aren't we all a little tired of it Anybody else sick of the opioid addiction? Anyone else sick of the suicides? Anyone else sick of what we're facing? It's time that we take the glory of the Lord that was manifest on the mountain and bring his majesty, his authority into our lives in the valley. It's a community that establishes itself and begins to flourish and touch lives. But it's going to require faith as a mustard seed. Dig down with those roots. Rise to the Lord. Glorify him and honor him and all of you will be oaks of righteousness. I'll conclude with last two slides. He is the God of the mountaintop and he is the God of the valley. It's important you get away with him so that when you go into the valley, you're prepared to be used by him. And then finally, this one. His glory is manifest on the mountain, but his majesty is manifested in the valley. I came down that mountain and because The roots of my life are ingrained in his word. All the trials we faced in the valley, I could stand upon the rock of Christ and say, God is good and it's going to be okay. God is good and it's going to be okay. And Jesus concluded when they said, how come we couldn't do it? And I'm going to leave you with what Jesus left them with. Jesus said, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Listen. If my wife were to fast more than 24 hours, she'd faint. She's, you know, she's like, I am just pressing into the... I'd be like, honey, wake up. No, I'm just, I want to be... She can't do it. Me, I've got storehouses. I can can go days. (laughs) I don't like it, but I can do it. I've gone 15 days without food, just water only. Some folks just can't do it 10 hours. And that's not saying, oh, you are so unspiritual. You are, you're satanic. No, the point of fasting is just simply this, denying yourself. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. The cross is that death. You're buried in the ground. You deny yourself. Your roots go into Christ, and then you rise to the Lord. And fasting is simply, what are the issues that you're dealing with? I'll give you an example. For men adolescence. Four most intense drives of male adolescent. First drive is for air. You can go about three minutes without air. Second is for water. You can go about three days without water. Third is for food. You can go about 40 days without food. The fourth most intense drive of male adolescent, sex drive. And most men would give up food for... They'd even hold their breath. So if if God's glory has been removed from your life and you've become faithless and you've built tents for all of your idols and Jesus isn't the only thing in your life and he's not primary all sudden perversity starts to creep in and you've gotten sideways and your mind is spinning because the greatest sexual organ you possess is your mind and you're spinning and it's out of control you deny yourself food and when you deny food it's amazing it kills the fourth drive Three days into fasting, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a girl. So what? <laughs> you don't believe me? Try it. And, and what it does is it realigns you to get into your right mind so you can spend time with the Lord. Here's another way of fasting. I know this is going to be revolutionary. Hang with me. You come home and you turn your phone off and put it in a basket. Ready? And have a meal as a family together. revolutionary you're denying and, and think about most of us every time that thing buzzes or beeps you're like huh 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 I'm watching you you're doing it he's doing it look at it I get... <laughs> even if, if if we all lost cell service you'd still have phantom buzzing oh no it's gonna come back on <laughs> Fast from something that is preoccupying you from being aligned with the Lord that his glory would be manifest and his majesty would be manifest in the life of you and your family. It's that simple. And what happens when you deny yourself is you spend time praying. What is praying? Talking to God. And what do you do? Own your stuff. Confess it. Intercede for the family members that are struggling. Give it all to the Lord and just spend time with him. And he will look and say, That is moving a mountain (laughs) because you'll never be able to do it neither could that mustard seed but with my life in you you will rise to the heavens and be fruitful for a community so get alone with the Lord and let his glory be manifest turn off the phone turn off the TV what is it that bothers you what is it that occupies you take those tents down it's just Jesus you get alone with the Lord and now you can establish his majesty in the life of your family it's not that hard. It's not that confusing. And this is the beauty of the passage. And with that, I pray it ministers to you deeply because God's going to see you through this. He's going to see you through this. Get alone with him and watch what he does with your family. And may God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that on the mountain, your glory is manifest but in the valley your majesty is manifest your majesty is your authority in our home and lord if we're a faithless home then perversity creeps in but god when we have seen a vision of your glory and we've witnessed the ravens of life turn into the savannas and we realize nothing is impossible for god it's there that we can stand upon your promises even though we don't have answers for the immediate issues at hand we can rest on knowing who you are and what you've done and will continue to do and Lord, not only will you fix the immediate problem, but you'll take care of it for the future. And so, Lord, may all of us as believers in Jesus Christ take down the tents of our idols and keep our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, would you give every person in this room a fresh vision of your glory? Spirit of living God, would you reveal to them how majestic and profound and powerful, loving and merciful and gracious you are to every heart present, And then, Lord, as they're reminded of all the issues they're going to face in the valley as they go out this door from this mountaintop experience, they're not afraid anymore. For greater is he who is in thee than he who is in the world. And, Lord, as you overcame all the trials in Raven's life, or I should say Savannah's life, you'll do the same for us. Lord, as Pete was crying out to you at 3.30 in the morning and some knucklehead forgets the clock and calls you speak to him and you manifest your glory so that by faith, your majesty is established for him to travel across the oceans to come and be with us here in Thousand Oaks. Lord, would you do that for every person in this room, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.